0: to Middle of the Dial, the music podcast for the entertainment website, Middle of the Row. I'm Jonathan Rahul, and today I'm featuring a long overdue conversation I had back in July with the band May. We talked about their prevailing vision and purpose as a band and how it relates to their band name and what it looked like to try to accomplish that throughout their tenure, from setting up elaborate stage props with fans and smaller clubs to using virtual reality in the Tower of David in the Middle East. We also talked about their single Five Light Years from their latest release, "Multi Sensory Aesthetic Experience. And if you haven't checked it out, whew, it's a doozy. I highly recommend it. It was a great talk with all three members of the band, Jacob, Zach, and Dave, so I hope you enjoy my interview with May. So, uh, real quick before we get started for the sake of like the listeners so they can identify who's talking when or whatever, I was wondering if you guys could just take a second to introduce yourselves and what you do in May.
1: Hey, this, yeah, is
2: <laughs> this is Dave. This is Dave. I sing and play instruments in that <laughs> right song. <laughs> this is Jacob, and uh, I play drums and several other instruments on uh, this particular record as well.
3: And Anything? my name is My name is Zach. Uh, I play guitar and May.
0: Cool. Um, So, Jacob, I wanted to start with you, and I apologize in advance, because I know you've probably gotten this question, like, a million times, but I was wondering if you could start off with the origins of the name of your guys' band, and then sort of talk about how that relates to uh, the founding and the origins of the band itself.
2: Yeah, totally. So, Dave and I met in college, and... uh, We actually literally met on New Year's Eve of 1999 and basically talked for 10 straight hours into the millennium New Year's, which was a pretty wild (laughs) evening all around. And we just found each other like really on the same page of being inspired by music and just like we ended up sitting out in my car, I think, or Dave's car, I can't remember. And just like trading songs that we loved. And he was playing stuff for me that I'd never heard. And I was playing stuff for him. It was just like a a beautiful friendship started there. And when I was in school, um, I had created a major uh, through a program called Interdisciplinary Studies. And so basically, if what you want to study doesn't exist in any of the normal disciplines, like if you aren't just trying to study English or math or you know, physics or biology, they have have an option for you to kind of study a central question from the perspective of each of those different uh, disciplines or insights. So what I was interested in was why we as humans experience beauty and why we are moved by beauty and how beauty affects each of our different senses in different ways. Ways, but also in complementary ways. And during the, that study, uh, discovered something uh, called synesthesia, and, and was incredibly inspired by some of these stories of people who have this experience of synesthesia. And basically, what it is is that one of your senses, um, you know, say for example, you're hearing something, and normally we might just hear it, but there are certain people who not only hear it, but when they hear sound, it will activate the visual part of their brain. And so they'll have a sonic experience and they'll have a visual experience. And it's not just sound and vision. It's actually, there are different people who represent all different kinds of combinations. So for some people, it might be sound and flavor. Um, but anyway, during that, uh, education, you know, the, the entire reason I was pursuing that was because I wanted to uh, be a part of helping to create art uh, that would affect our senses um, in combination. And so there wasn't really a name for that. Uh, and so uh, we just called it a multisensory aesthetic experience and multisensory meaning more than one sense. Aesthetic is, is really the study of beauty And just recognizing that if you're going to create art like that, it wouldn't just be something you listen to or watch or smell. It would be a combination of all of those things, so it would have to be an experience. And so really from the beginning, it was kind of an ambition to a state of being inside of a work of art, or if you want to think of it almost as like music for the whole body. And so early on, this was this was something we kind of held as a, a bit of a north star and aspiration. We didn't really know how we were going to achieve it necessarily, but over the last fifteen years, um, you know, technology has done a lot to catch up. And um, you know, early on, uh, we got really inspired by the potential of immersive media, so things like virtual reality and augmented reality. Uh, and so we were. Uh, Really committed to the idea of trying to make um, a work of May, if you want to think of it that way, uh, using some of these new technologies. And so about uh, two and a half years ago, uh, we got invited by Forbes magazine uh, to basically create the world's first large uh, like, collective experience where sound became light in virtual reality. And so Forbes had gathered... About 600 of their young leaders from around the world, 200 from the U.S., 200 from Europe, and 200 from Africa and the Middle East, to convene in Jerusalem to talk about peace building. And we got to give a concert at the end of that summit uh, inside of the Tower of David. So it's this 3,000-year-old venue. It's the oldest venue on earth. And we got to do... uh, performance as may in the heart of that uh, tower we put like 700 people into virtual reality at once and they all saw the music become light and color all around them and it was like it's got to be my favorite uh moment of music and art that i've ever been a part of you know in part because it was such a special place and such a special context but it was also really the fulfillment of the vision and uh, a goal that's been there for, like, 15 years, and just to kind of feel it come to life that way under such uh, special circumstances really felt like, um, you know, a dream come true.
0: That's That sounds amazing. That's awesome to have. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that uh, within the music industry or musical ventures for artists, like, they can have the opportunity to do those types of projects, so... The fact that you guys had that kind of built into your purpose as a band and then to see that that's really cool um and also at any time guys if you want to chime in or like tack on something just yeah for free just go ahead and uh chime in uh, but zach i wanted to ask you also in relation to that it seems like that like that seems like a very ambitious goal to incorporate that into one's music as well to create that type of experience and jacob touched on it a little bit but how is how has that pursuit evolved or changed over the years? For instance, like uh, the Everglow, which was probably your guys' standout album, you guys did as a concept album, as like kind of like a story that went along with the music. Um, and then with your touring, you included stuff like three D projections. Uh, with the Morning EP, you guys had a scratch and sniff for that too. So, like, how? What are like some of the different, uh, some of the other different ways in which you guys have tried to add to that experience and sort of how that's changed and been affected, um, whether it's in the songwriting process or just the live show aspect?
3: Um, I think the one main thing that's always a part of the conversation, of our conversations when we're talking about going on, um, doing doing some shows or we're talking about uh, doing new music, um, since those are the two main elements from which we kind of launch uh, and then explore those, the, one of a uh, main component of the a uh, main dimension of these discussions is always how to enrich an experience, enrich the experience, um, and enrich and build off an experience that's more traditional in nature. Right? So we have a show, and how do we make that show a May show? Right? How do we make this record a May record? Um, And the main thing that I think has been, that's provided the most opportunity, um, but also uh, given us most challenges is is how to really implement these new technologies in a way that's going to scale. Uh, That makes sense for us, and it makes sense for the fan, and kind of work to achieve the goals that we want to uh, accomplish with whatever we're working on at the time. Um, And that's what was so crazy about the, the Jerusalem is all those kind of things came together at a moment and it was possible, right? So a lot of times, I think the, the main challenge here is logistics, um, but you see those logistics shaping and shifting all the time with these new technologies coming to place. And so when we're thinking about music and we're thinking about doing shows, we want to incorporate these dimensions and try to meld them into a um, – a picture or uh, a moment that that makes sense, right? That that kind of work in um, concert with one another. And for us, this is going to be finding, maintaining this kind of larger trajectory of, of um, the multisensory aspect, the, the multisensory dimension. Right, but when we have um, these opportunities to bring, you know, the one. You know, for us, it's a learning experience. And, and we look back and we kind of, okay, well, look, we'll, look what we did with um, the morning, afternoon, evening tour. We brought out um, water bottles. Um, it's, a, it's a thing. We, so we, I don't know if you know the story or what we did, but during a moment in the set when um, we had fans with the water, we gave fans a water bottle along the way in when they spray water bottles. Um, and then at a moment in the set when uh, there's visual imagery of rain. Um, we had uh, the people in the audience with these spray bottles start spraying um, water up into the air and we had fans on stage and we sprayed water into the fans. So I think that um, is a great example of, of how we kind of negotiate uh, these new experiences, right? And to bring people into the environment, um, into the moment in a very real way. Um, so I, I think ultimately when we sit down, we say, okay, well, what do we want to do and what can we do? Right, so um, it doesn't really it don't really take a chance to really kind of alter our creative uh, uh, way of working, right? We just say, okay, well, why don't we do this? And if we say, okay, well, we have the means to do that now, and so for us, it's just been this thing, okay, well, uh, we have this vision, and the vision's been generally consistent, right? The thing that challenges or furthers this vision are just understanding what's available for us, um, and. From every aspect, whether it be financial, whether it just be technological, kind of things like that, and then we just okay, well, um, we can do this now. And if there's any if there's any slight chance that this is possible, then most likely we're going to do our best to chase that down and um, respond to challenges and opportunities that arise along the way.
0: Dave, kind of to tack to that, so you guys started out on Tooth and Nail, which is an independent uh, record label, and then you guys signed. To Capital when you released your third album, Singularity, how is the switch from an India major, how has that um dynamic affected that purpose and vision like Zach was talking about in terms of ideas that you guys have, uh whether it's for like the recording or for the live aspect, and what's how has that been different and like good or bad, or have its various um different advantages or disadvantages?
2: Yeah, I think that um if anything, when we signed uh, to Capitol Records and we were on a major, it derailed us um, from like the ultimate May vision uh, of you know the vision within the acronym that is our band name. Um, we were on Capitol Records and we were wondering if we were going to have those sort of opportunities that artists. Get as they're climbing up the label ladder, so to speak. Um, We're wondering if we were going to get on radio nationally in the states. We were wondering if we were going to uh, get tours that were, you know, extremely beneficial to us, playing in front of an audience that had no idea who our band was. Um, That that season for May moving beyond, uh, our relationship with Ethan and sort of upstreaming the capital was a time, uh, I'll speak just, I guess, uh, for myself, but it was a time of distraction more than it was a time of resource for us to figure out how to, uh, really hone in on some of our, our all along vision of being May. um, you know, We are wanting uh, the right people, the label, to pay attention to us. The label imploded, and uh, about 90% of the staff was fired uh, in between our record being made and it coming out. So there was an obstacle course that was set in front of us um, that we didn't really get through very well, actually. We had two of our band members uh, and our manager part ways with us, And, uh, that's the reality of the music industry and the entertainment industry at any time. Um, it's subject to change. It's subject to luck. It's subject to preference by somebody that you don't, you know, get to influence in the first place. And, uh, what we did once we were able to get out of our contract with Capital was start our own record label and, uh record the music that we absolutely wanted to record without any distraction or influence from people with pay, uh, with checkbooks. And um, that's when, for me, I think, uh, I uh, personally wanted to do my part to kind of double down on the multi-sensory, es- aesthetic, experiential side of, of our band. Um, so if you came to a show during the morning, afternoon, morning or afternoon or evening tour, uh, sort of, have been talking about this already, but you get a pair of 3D glasses when you come through the door, and uh, we set up uh, several, like, high-powered industrial fans throughout the uh, venue and connect them all to a power strip that would sit right in front of my pedal board on stage, and the kind of water bottles that Zach was talking about are the ones that you see, uh, like, hairdressers use at the salon, But we bought like probably 150 of them or something. And we'd fill them up. And if you were a member of the May team, which is like our street team back then before Facebook and MySpace and stuff were uh, allowing fans and bands to sort of connect directly, we would use our our May team uh, street team to a website to connect with people. Say, hey, come to the merch table on your way in and not only grab your glasses, but grab um, these water bottles and help us create sort of a wind and rain storm during our set. And so to those who are unexpecting, you put on your 3D glasses when the video projection told you to the band would be on stage performing this like long guitar solo. And I would bend down and hit the fans on and, and people would know at that time to use their water bottles and be in a room like the social in Orlando. And you would literally be able to see rain coming from the ceiling or at least from, you know, high above uh, our heads. And it was a communal experience where we were able to only do that by asking our our base to participate with us and and be the rain and be the wind, and we would be the music and we would provide the visuals. And um, it was extremely DIY, and yet it was so fulfilling. So without, like, a major label budget to send us on tour and you know, hook us up with some technology that would be really advantageous to us. We just took it upon ourselves uh, after Capital to double down and then some to sort of figure out how we really could uh, implement our band's name and the vision of that within the context of a live show. And uh, within our recordings, um, we've been a conceptual band at times in our in our records and our music and our songwriting and in our instrumental soundscapes in between traditional songs on records and stuff. So, I think um, for me, as uh, producing, may stuff morning, afternoon, and evening, and as we're working on the new music today. Um, it's my responsibility to think about what May's vision is apart from what my vision is um, within May. So I can say, well, as producer, if you guys are a, a band that calls yourself multi-sensory Aesthetic Experience, then how in the world are we going to prove that while we're recording these songs for your record? And as a producer, I would want to ask me uh, on behalf of the band and ask all of us together. And so now it's really everything from the technology that Jacob had mentioned, you know, that's developed within like virtual reality, augmented reality, Um, multi-sensory experiences are something that are happening more and more in art form. Uh, It's something that we've um, been dreaming about and researching and just, just talking about over the years. And so when it comes to making a new May record, I think it's really important that we, try to draw an experience out out of our listeners uh, that will end up being as multi sensory as it can be. So there's, there've been, uh, there's plenty of, uh, I guess, just like production trickery that I've been um, just investing in, in terms of like little Easter eggs here and there that, uh, that the listeners will, will get a chance to experience when, when the record finally comes out. And then, with that, we're talking about partnering up our record with visuals, with uh, virtual reality, with scent. Um, we're talking about having shows uh, in the future that are not quite like a traditional venue show, but uh, we're calling them uh, these shows Maydays, And uh, there you'll experience a song with a bite of food at the same time and a fragrance and so we're, we're really starting to see how we can do that. Um, it's a combination of more of a direct-to-fan relationship that has um, cultivated out of this season of technology with things like crowdfunding and social media and social networking and stuff like that. And uh, for the three of us, it's really just continuing to learn what we've been passionate about, not just music, but other forms of art and entertainment at the same time trying to make them coincide with each other and tell this this bigger story and uh i think we're we're pretty much there i mean i know we are in fact and um what will happen next is when our album comes out it won't just be a new may, may record that you hear about it'll be a new may show a new may experience and a multi-sensory one for
0: sure so i i want to talk about the new record and kind of the music influences you guys have held throughout and Uh, just a songwriting process for that. But I I again want to acknowledge like how cool I think it is that you guys have that vision and not only that, but to tack on that you've been really incorporated and try to make, like you said, your crowd base and your fan base part of that as well in terms of their participation at the live shows and that kind of thing. And I get like another way of connecting to the audience um, through the music and through the other media that you guys explore. Um, and but, but before we talk about the new record, I want to ask, Zach, what what have been some of the hard p- logistical aspects of accomplishing that immersive experience that you guys talk about um, in terms of just, like, showing up at a venue and being like, hey, by the way, we're setting up, like, a bunch of fans and we're handing out water bottles. And, like, what have been some <laughs> of the difficulties of that? And maybe do you guys have any stories of, like, you trying to present that to the venue and them being just like,
3: uh, what? <laughs> um, Yeah, I think when I, when I mention logistical uh, limitations or issues, it's pretty much exactly that. I mean, if we, when we conceptualize an idea and begin to build it out um, for a tour rehearsal, or for example, right? We can, we'll sit in a room, we'll, we'll play the songs, we'll have um, these ideas and the materials, um, and then we get to the venue, and the venues are... They're rarely combative at all. They're just kind of like, okay, well, here it is. I mean, do your thing, you know, and if there's any kind of um, situation where they can't allow it because of building codes or anything like that, they'll tell us. But um, one of the more recent tours we did uh, a few years ago, we had um, almost like a whole patio set in the way out with us, not chairs, but we had um, hanging lights that we brought ourselves and we had um, poles set up on the stage. Um, to hang these lights from, so it would go up, kind of back from front of the stage to the, to the back of the stage and all across the, the, the width of the stage as well. But there's a, a nice depth to it, um, and the poles are set up on the front of the stage in the middle of the stage and the back of the stage. Um, so we played the electric factory in Philadelphia, and it was, it was pretty easily achieved just because we had space to work with. But then we go to a smaller venue, and all of a sudden you have a very, very small stage you have the materials that we brought with us and we want to give the audience the same show regardless of what the venue is. Um, and so that kind of thing, it, it kind of brings us to a point, okay, well, you have to adapt on the fly and say, okay, well, why don't we do it this way here, this way, this, this way here. Um, and so that kind of thing happens. And so when we have a, a situation where it's not like we can bring uh, you know this semi-truck with us, we don't have um, uh, the finance, the financial... Kind of power to bring this whole productive road show with us and kind of have it set off and be fine every night we're doing everything ourselves as Dave mentioned a lot of it was it's just all DIY and so those kind of things are what I'm talking about um, when it comes to these ideas that we have and then we bring it on the road and, and we you know we don't know always know what to expect when it comes to um, executing these ideas but um, I will say to I feel like to our credit. We never say, we always say yes first, and we never end up saying no, if that makes any sense. So we just go in and we make it work and that kind of thing. It it makes it for, it's a lot of fun, it's a lot of hard work. Um, You know, we were on that tour I mentioned where we had this light set up. We were literally, you know, bringing five or six eight-foot poles with us and cinder blocks and strands and strands of lights that we'd set up every single night and tear down every single night. Um, So it was a trip, but it was a lot of fun.
0: Nice. Um, So before we get it actually into the latest record and the latest songs and that recording process, uh, Jacob, I was wondering if you could talk about um, your guys' kind of individual reunions for the anniversaries of Destination Beautiful and the Everglow to have those 10 year landmarks and what that meant to you guys. And then maybe talk about how that evolved into like a full reunion with plans to record a new record. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh,
2: a lot of times, um, it almost seems like maybe there's a pressure as an artist not to look back and to kind of only look forward. And we've certainly you know, felt that in our own ways from time to time. But we're also very uh, you know, proud of the journey that we've been on. And a lot of times people will ask you, it's like, oh, what's your favorite record you've ever made? And you know, in a lot of ways, it's hard to say that uh, objectively in, in, you know, some kind of systematic way because they are more like children than products, I guess, is is one way to think about it, you know? And there, there's a, a creative part of every artist that when you look back, it's like you, you also see everything you've learned in the time since, <laughs> you know? So it's easy to kind of... Um judge your work uh, even just emotionally uh, with a standard that's impossible to apply back to it, right? Because you didn't have access to that technology or you just learned so much along the way. And so I think early on, we just kind of tried to take this approach of thinking of those records almost like flags that were planted uh, at different benchmarks on our journey. And so with that, you know, in mind, Uh, It was such a joy to kind of get to celebrate those um, moments, both for Destination Beautiful. We did like three shows uh, for the 10th anniversary of of Destination Beautiful. But when it came to the Everglow, it was a little different. Um, We realized looking back that we had never actually performed that record from beginning to end. Uh, When it first came out, we designed our set to include songs. Beautiful as well, since a lot of people you know, knew and loved those songs, and um, you know. But the record uh, is a is a seamless record, so every song flows in and out of every next song, and there's a, a custom painting that was done for each song, and a story that unfolds over the course of the record. And so we felt like, you know, if we were going to get together and honor the 10 year anniversary of this, we shouldn't just do it as a couple shows. We should actually build a whole tour around it, we felt like people would enjoy um, having that experience and that we would enjoy the challenge of trying to make it. And uh, Dave had this awesome idea for uh, recreating the set or the setting of uh, one of the songs. We have a song um, where uh, there's a bunch of lanterns out in the space and you see fireflies in the painting and it's all about the context for a dance. And so we basically tried to recreate, uh, you know, a version of that scene on stage using, you know, posts and and wrapping them with uh, these beautiful white lights, and just kind of creating a, a depth to the stage uh, design. So it just felt like you were in a production of that um, experience. So it was really, you know, thoughtfully uh, pulled together. And so we ended up doing you know, uh, not only a full U.S. tour, but taking it over to Japan and uh, Hawaii even, and and just, you know, getting the chance to uh, share the magic of that moment from 10 years earlier uh, with people who had been on the journey with us all along. I think that's really what it comes back to, you know, When, when you're in the studio and you're making a record like that, it's really your record. And you pour your heart and your soul and your stories and your insights into those recordings and into those songs and lyrics and productions. And all of a sudden it goes out into the world and it becomes someone else's. And a lot of times as artists, we don't get to hear the stories of how that music becomes a part of someone else's life. And so being able to have this 10-year uh, retrospective, you know, all, for all of us, like our favorite moments were, you know, the times either before or after the performance, just talking to people and hearing how this music had connected with their lives, and whether they had, you know, tattoos from the the album artwork or had named their their you know, daughters May. Like, there we're so many incredible stories. And people walking down the aisle to different songs, or you know, even on the sadder. Uh, side of things like, you know, playing these songs for for people that they loved as they were about to pass away. And just like this whole spectrum of uh, life and love and loss and, you know, just people's experiences in the world uh, where they had woven our songs meaningfully into those moments and had created memories uh, that we were a part of. And just kind of getting to hear that and, and you know learn from people was such an honor and and so that transition from you know music being yours to music being everyone's is a uh, is something we've kind of come to appreciate and acknowledge throughout the years and so right now we're in that same you know phase with this new album like we're geeking out with each other and <laughs> Dave's finishing production on these songs and we'll send over a file to some you know new uh, aspect of of the songs, new instruments or new production. It's just like, feel like a kid in a candy store. You just can't wait for the world to hear this music, but we're also savoring the fact that right now it's just kind of ours and uh, enjoying that process of creation and discovery and really like sculpting them to make sure that they hold everything that we want to put in them uh, before they go out into the world and become everyone else's as well.
0: So with that recording process, um, I was wondering, Dave, how, can you talk about sort of when you guys first started, what your musical influences sort of were, and going into this next album, how have they evolved and changed, or what maybe musical influences did you bring that people might be surprised to hear? I know, uh, Zach, I know on the prom- promo photo, you've got a Descendants patch, on your uh, uh-huh. shirt, which I'm sure people might be surprised to equate the two together. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Dave, I was wondering if you could talk about the, uh, uh, yeah, just sort of how your influences have changed over the years and how that's affected your songwriting process going into this next album. Wow. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> that's such a great question, man. Uh, When we made Destination Beautiful, this is right after that—not right after that night that Jacob talked about where we met, but like within months, we were able to get into the studio because of our friend Mark Paget, who was May's bass player for years. Um, He had a studio, and I worked with a band before May, and there. And after that, Mark said, next time you want to make something, uh, let's do it for free. But you have to do it in between projects that I have and just kind of fit into the calendar. It's like, yes, of course, please. And so we put this band together um, with people that we knew from like our friend group, our church group, our college group. It's like, bass player before Mark, uh, Rob played keys, and at the same time, like, I met Rob through Jacob by, like, talking with Jacob about, how do we get someone to play keys on a May song that's good, and it can be better than where we are right now because we can come up with it, but we can't. We can't execute it in the studio the way that we can hear it in our heads. Um, or we actually can because we have like a whole month until we get to be in the studio again. So let's like dream it up in some ways that are like, let's change it now. What else could this song be? But we were so young. You know, it was 19 and 20 years old. So this is less than half my life ago for sure. But uh, close <laughs> to it. And now I'm here uh, at my studio today, and this is where we've been making the May Records since we moved in together to make it um, back in October, November. It's been a process, and a lot of these songs have been around for so long. Um, But talking about savoring it today, um, that's exactly what we've been doing. So when I think about influences who taught me then, and are teaching me now, a lot of them are still the same. Uh, I can learn from a Beatles production every time still. Um, but I've definitely listened to a lot more uh, like Nigel Godrich production and Radiohead and i like fallen in love with that band for 15 years my life and studied them too. And uh, production everywhere in between for May is is just like an exciting place to try to learn stuff. And I dropped out of college when I was 19 to play in a band for a little while. That uh, the guy's name was Senna. He was Jacob's roommate, and I was learning about the industry, and I was learning about production, I was learning about how to play shows, like, in front of people who are judging if you're going to be on MTV or not, and I was learning these things, but then I would go back, and I would get to be in the studio with what would become May, the band, and falling in love with music all the time, and I had long drives all the time, so I would uh, listen to a lot of music coming and going now I live so close to the studio that uh, I have the luxury of listening to music on good speakers but at the same time I don't drive around listening to music nearly as much especially because it doesn't tour that much um, but I think the influences to say it at, at the end would just be like the people around me I'm always like wanting to know what other people are, are listening to and learning uh, about who they're learning from. Just whatever. So that way I can I can get in on some stuff too. Um, and that's what's made making this record such a joy for me. Because we're taking the time to do that. And we're comparing what we're doing to the contemporaries that have taught us. All along the way. And for a long time now how to make
0: great records. Zach, with, I, recently, I think Alternative Press put out a video and it was a list of like 10 emo bands that are really underappreciated. And you guys, I, I think we're on that and they had a clip from Summertime off Destination Beautiful. So to hear that you guys have these, influences like Radiohead and the Beatles, like bands that really kind of surpass the definition or boundaries of genres. Zach, was it hard for you guys to maybe be pigeonholed into the genre of email when you're you're trying to do stuff that's beyond what the genre talks about typically, which is like eyeliner and girls and that kind of thing?
3: Um honestly that was never really something that bothered me uh, too much. I mean, for once uh, for one thing, like I, I came up like in that kind of punk rock world, and, and that emerged into this kind of emo pop world. All of these kind of genres um, blended together for me, and I, I enjoyed it. That was part of my upbringing. There's for my formative years. So that kind of um, categorization, it, it makes sense to me. Like I'm not surprised by it. Do I necessarily agree with it? Um, you know, no, but I don't, I I appreciate it. I want to be clear, like that kind of thing is really, is really, um, cool to hear. I'm glad that, um, we have had enough of an influence somewhere to be included in some kind of, uh, collection of bands like that or music. Um, but in, in terms of, um, how I perceive May's reputation, uh, maybe anything like that uh, in relation to a band like Radiohead or a band like, um, you know, for a Wilco or anything like that. Like, I don't, it doesn't really bother me just because, um, I don't know, I just never really spent much time on it. And I also know that uh, when we do get to interact with our fans, um, we get uh, just the kind of large demographic of, of people from different backgrounds and with different interests and different tastes. And so that if there's any kind of reality to that list, um, that's not something that I'm reminded of when we go out and play shows and interact with our fans to just get a much more um varied uh swath of interactions, you know, and so for me, yeah, it's just like cool, you know i I don't really think being associated with with you know any kind of scene or any kind of band is necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's how people make meaning and make sense of the music they listen to, especially when it comes to their own identities. And, uh, and we're not here to challenge that or anything like that. We just kind of want to uh, give someone a challenge and maybe, you know, really uh, open up some new doors and have them enjoy ourselves um, when they listen to our music. I mean, like you said, um, you know, I had a dissidence patch on. So when it comes to, that kind of thing. Bands I love like Radiohead are way different than bands. I love like, you know, drug church or, or black flag or something like that. So, and then John Mayer, like this whole thing, like I just love a lot of, a lot of music. So all that stuff for me is just like, well, you know, fine. If people want to associate ourselves with some kind of genre that, that specifically, let them do it. You know, where I guess at this point, you know, we're just happy to be there anywhere,
2: you know? Right now, I'm listening to Kids See Ghosts and Cigarose Rose and uh, Death Cat for Cutie and um, uh, Tame Impala for, like, production, like, ways to learn. And then you can strip something down like White Stripes and you can think about a Beatles recording on the White Album and just be like, oh, yeah, these are all just, like, mics in a room. Sometimes that's exactly what it needs. What? A,
0: Sometimes it's fun to get weird. What a, From Zach and Jacob, from you guys, what would you say is, what are things that you've been artists, you've been listening to recently that's really been speaking to you?
3: Um, For me, I've been really into late John Mayer stuff, honestly. Um, I really like... Uh, how oh, his records sound. And I think as, for me as a guitar player, um, you know, I can just sit and, and sit with his music and, and play along and, and it makes me focus on becoming uh, more proficient. Um, so that's one. Another one, uh, I've been listening to a lot of is, um, I don't know. I think, uh, Black well, Trio just put out a new a song I'm listening to a lot of lately. Um, and Cat Howard's put out a new song. They both put out new stuff on Friday. And so that's the most recent, um, very recent stuff I've been uh, thinking about.
2: Yeah, for me, I guess stuff that people would consider kind of in our universe been very inspired by the new Manchester Orchestra record. Dave, yes, to that. And it's been, it's been in regular rotation for a while. <laughs> uh, I would say my favorite band of all time is Sigur Rós. And uh, just the way that they approach um, their production and, and kind of world building, I think, have been very, very inspired by. We've listened to a lot of War on Drugs. Um, there's like, you know... Our friend Kenny Vasoli from The Starting Line back in the day uh, has a, a project called Vacationer. Uh, just really love. They just put out a new record. Um, I really like Kimbra. Uh, I think she's done some really amazing stuff. Got to see her live and uh, was just blown away. And then I listen to a lot more ambient stuff, uh, things that kind of feel like sonic environments. Uh, there's an artist named John Hopkins, uh, who's an electronic artist. He just put out a record called Singularity, actually. We're not going to sue him, but uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's actually an amazing, amazing record. Um, and then there's a pianist named Nils From <clears throat> that I like uh, a whole lot as well. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because we have a, a very clear overlap of stuff that we like and then we each also kind of go into these different directions and somewhere inside of all of those influences like colliding around comes, you know, these ideas that somehow feel familiar uh, but also because of the, the strange combinations of uh, Kind of end up sounding like May, and uh, I guess that's the thing that I, I feel like most proud of in all of this journey is like, especially musically. You know, you'll hear this new record and it will sound totally different, and yet it will sound totally familiar as well. There's like a Mayness <laughs> to it, uh, you know, that I can hear when I try to listen outside of it objectively. It's like, oh yeah, this this does sound like May, but it sounds like. Um, you know, just seeing the the reactions from fans, you know, around this this first single, five light years, and they're like, you know, it, it feels encouraging to see those responses because they are saying the same things that we're we're feeling, which is like, yeah, this is this is a really cool evolution of something that we love, and it doesn't feel like a departure; it feels like an expansion or a deepening, um, and that just. <laughs> Comes with time, you know.
3: I think a good way to think about our collective tastes um, is just a nice Venn diagram. I always think yeah. about the fact that as you put the three of us, we're going to overlap. All three of us overlap in this, you know, smaller, smaller zone. Um, but then you have, you know, Dave and I, and then Jake and I, and then Dave and Jacob. You all have these kind of yeah uh, meandering similarities and dissimilarities, um, and they're of negotiated in this kind of immediate space of creation um, mm. but they're always just kind of in the conversation it's just a matter of um, translating all those into a way that uh, is a may song and I think Dave kind of spoke to that a minute ago he talked about the role of production is to kind of finding May um, and Dave, Zach and Jacob.
0: So So Dave, I wonder if you can talk about sort of specifically with the single you've put out recently, Five Light Years uh, talk specifically about the songwriting behind that uh, and the lyric writing and just sort of what were you guys, what mind space were you guys in terms of how you wanted it to sound and what message you wanted to get across with uh, this song specifically Uh,
2: I think that
0: Five Light Years is um
2: Uh, A representation of the album (laughs) in that uh, uh, I feel every song will fit together because every song will really be unique to itself. Um, Sort of the opposite of some of my other favorite records, uh, like Smashing Pumpkin, Siamese Dream, Weezer Blue Album, Jimmy Eat World, Clarity. Like, as soon as you hear the drum sounds and the guitar tones and, like, what the vocal does, what the piano does, what the melodies do, uh, those tones, you hear them the the entirety of the record. This is, like, the opposite of that, where a tone is available at any time. (laughs) And that is so much fun. It is so much fun to paint that out over the context of a song and over the context of a song fitting with a record, um, for me, I'm I'm piecing this together to be a journey record of journey songs. And um, Five Light Years definitely is a journey song and it's sort of short and sweet, but I wouldn't say that even down to like, if someone would say, well, is it rock? Like, is the rest of the May record rock? and roll like that that one does. And if they compare our album Singularity to that, they're like, will it sound like Singularity? It's, uh, no. Um, and yes. And (laughs) everything in between. And then think about how we were making Destination Beautiful as kids in a studio, just trying things like slapping our chests in a room with a microphone. Or strumming an electric guitar that wasn't plugged in, but you put a mic up to the strings. We didn't know what was good and what was bad in some cases, so we were just trying. And um, we know a lot more uh, about what we feel when we create music, what what feels good to us. Like I love the idea of May being an emo band all, all the way through, but because I love it if May can give you the feels. <laughs> but not in a genre way. I think of like yes, <laughs> I think of uh, emotion in song all over so many songs, and it's not by any means uh, emo like a genre or like a type of um, a stereotype of a person who is emo. You know, like that's not I, that doesn't really make sense to me to want to definitely put my fans sound with it, but at the same time I think everybody loves music in the way when it makes us feel good and when you can get goosebumps hearing that same thing again and again and it means more in your soul when you listen to a song on repeat or an album Mm. on repeat when you go deeper like that that's what I love trying to do for us with May and a journey song on a journey album of songs uh, Five Light Years is like, it's a quick little jump into the outer space of that universe and then see what's possible.
0: Awesome. So, uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to Five Light Years by May.
1: It was better to start with something Together we play But then we both Something
0: Our conversation with uh, a segment that's really stupid and dumb and a little bit more lighthearted. Um, I like to call it the lightning round, I don't know why. Um, it's essentially a bunch of rapid fire questions, and feel free in this time to like talk over each other and argue with each other and call each other like stupid or anything like that because it'll just be funnier and more entertaining. Um, so, yeah, so you, uh, are you guys ready for the lightning round? I don't. I don't know. I'll be
1: honest. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's here we do go. it. All right. Question number one: Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera?
2: Britney Spears. Yeah. Britney, Britney. Spears.
0: Yeah. Elaboration. Uh, I like her songs better.
2: Toxic. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, no, <laughs> the there we go. Toxic is so good. <laughs> I they
3: did not. Toxic is so good. Hey, Dave, Max Martin, that sweeter songwriter, is that his name? Sure. Uh, he, I love the stuff he did with Britney Spears. I think the songs he wrote for her are really good. I think Stronger is one of them. Um, yeah. I might be mistaken, but I love that song. So I think, um, I'm going to say Christina's obviously a better singer. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, think that sure. Britney just, whoever was working with and for Britney kind of put her with, with great producers. And I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, I, just, I can't get back to the fact that Dave was just like, toxic. That's my that's my reason why. That's, that's, like all,
2: that's
3: all you really need. <laughs> the
0: song know? is
2: so good, man. It's, <laughs>
0: that's, that's, like, that's the family feud.
2: Me going up to it, having to hit it. It'd be like, toxic. that song was toxic. Awesome. It'd be like four out of eight, but it would still be in there. Nice. Uh, there's a song she did called Keep on Dancing Until the World Ends or something like that was like the <laughs> refrain in the chorus i really like that one
0: i do remember yeah i do remember that one i i not one for like pop electro like club music but that one did get yeah. me on my feet yeah um, there's like a hook on that yeah oh yeah um all right uh chipotle or qdoba chipotle oh my God, chipotle yeah okay hold on even after all this time recently
2: too yeah (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately yeah still
3: (laughs) i have a choice i'm going to chipotle okay you
2: guys have to elaborate on this one this past week uh i had chipotle after going to the park percy warner last time and it was probably in the last two weeks and i love going to the park but that day driving to the park to, to be out there for a couple of hours. My motivation to leave the house and do that was the Chipotle afterwards. <laughs> so I was, I was committed on the front end. But that's I'll successful. say this: I
3: don't we don't I don't have I'm in Virginia and I don't have many Qdoba's in my area. Chipotles are all over the place. <laughs> that's that's one thing. Okay, but when I have fair. eaten Qdoba, um, it's just not as good as Chipotle. It just tastes like to me. It's just like I think yeah. Chipotle's rice is really good. Um, <laughs> You know, so yeah, that's my elaboration. I heard you ask for an elaboration. And it's
2: important when you're in a band to, you know... Try to be on the same page whenever possible <laughs> when it comes to food stops, right? So yeah. <laughs> the fact that we all love Chipotle over Qdoba is a sign that we will be together for many more years.
0: I will give it you. I will give you that. Um, if I were to give a one-word rebuttal, as uh, kind of as Dave did in the last question, <laughs> um, I think I'm just going to say queso, and I'll leave it at that. Um, it's right. a good one. That's all a right. strong point. Yeah. It's a strong yeah. point. It is. Yeah, over and out with that. <laughs> um, I was wondering. Do uh, I'm going to skip that question? Actually, uh, let's move on into this one's Wait, real person. Ask that,
2: que- ask
0: that question.
2: Ask <laughs> Yeah. Well, now we're curious. Okay, <laughs> well, this,
0: this this one's a little bit more deeper than my previous two questions, but I was wondering what you guys think was the easiest song to write on the upcoming album.
1: None easiest
0: song. To <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> None of them. <laughs>
2: No, for real. Uh, yeah. You know what? Can I say uh, what would become the opening track on the record was the Ooh, easiest song
0: to write. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Amazing. Interesting. Um, and then on the flip side of that, what do you think was the hardest song to write? The last track on the record. <laughs> of. <course.
1: laughs> it's
2: it's true. It's true, and and uh, the opening track took the least amount of hours of recording production time and the outro was started uh like third and was just finished yesterday
0: holy cow Woo.
2: yeah and it's been steady on that one the whole time <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it will be it will be worth the wait
1: Woo. i think that might be
2: my favorite song on the whole record too
0: at this point. That last one?
2: And that may change.
0: Yeah. It's okay.
2: it's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> cool. Alright, back to a silly yeah. question, but a personal one. Who has the best hygiene in the band, and who has the worst hygiene?
1: Oh.
2: oh. I don't... Huh. I would say that uh, Jacob has the best. And I'll just say I have the worst, just to say it. If we were were talking, like, meta-level, though, we'd have to say that Rob, uh, our keyboardist, had the worst. Only because uh, he really enjoyed the smell of sweaty feet and would let his shoes (laughs) go nasty and then leave that in the van. And a a pungent aroma would soon (laughs) fill the space of our van. And we always knew who the culprit was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Alright, okay. That that was that was a bold move putting him on blast, uh, when he's not here to defend himself, but <laughs> I, know, I, I, I appreciate that's the true. insight.
1: That is <laughs> true. I
2: hey, I didn't say a word. And you know it. what? I didn't either. This is Dave <laughs> this Elkins is from <laughs> the band <laughs> May. This is me. And taking I do not full say responsibility that at all. <laughs> oh weird. man. I love that dude. That's my homie.
3: Oh, that's what he's gonna call your consolation, Pat, Mike right Jacob. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. And final uh, final question of the lightning round. What is your guys' latest art recommendation outside of music that you found has been really inspiring you lately? Mm. Oh, and it can be anything. It can be, question. like, TV. It can be movies. It can be visual media outside of that. It can be whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: i okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh I've been <clears throat> um
3: reading <clears throat>
0: pardon me, excuse me. <clears throat> this um
3: this uh guy named Simon Frith um he writes on music. He's like a takes a sociological at uh, look at music and he writes a lot about pop music. And so he has a book called um Performance Rights, that's R I T E S and he also has a book called Music for Pleasure. Um and I've been reading um his essays Lately, because I'm really into this kind of heady analysis of the enjoyment of pop music and the myths and narratives of pop music and how they function in media. Um, So that's what I've been reading uh, a whole lot of lately.
0: Kind of real quick, actually, on that note, have you guys seen that, I think, was it Noisy? No, it was Vox. Vox put out a video about this, uh, I don't know what his, like, Title or interest areas. He's like a visual programmer or computer scientist, and he came up with like a way to like put in lyrics uh, into a, like into a, you submit the lyrics of a song into like this program, and then it creates a visual map of it, which shows every time mm. a word was repeated, and you it creates this chart this diagram that shows like all the areas of heavy repetition, and it's sort of when you start to put in more pop music and more music, that's or maybe not necessarily pop music as a genre specifically, but even like hip hop music or that kind of thing, you start to see the songs that have heavy repetition built into them and sort of like the correlation between how, how popular they are and how much they have reputation. It was a really fascinating thing. And so I've been doing that, like whenever, like I've got a song that I've been really jamming for a while, I'll, I'll every now and then I'll be like, I wonder what this looks like visually. I forget what the link is to it. Um, I'll put that in like include
2: the, it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, Definitely check it out.
0: It's uh, it's fascinating for sure. Um, but yeah, I'd uh, love to see that. Dave, uh, think... Dave, Jacob, what have you guys been consuming?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, Dave, go for it. I've been podcasting Oprah, Super Soul, it's yes, of, <laughs> and um, love it. Did you hear the Richard Rohr one? Yes. Oh. So yeah. And so then I've been doing some Richard Rohr and some Rob Belling and um, watching Wild Wild Country. Oh, that's a good one.
0: Is this a, um like, censored show? No, not at all. Have you guys... So, Zach, did you see it? Yes. We can just give, like, a spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. We're going to talk about yeah. Wild Wild Country. There we go. Yes,
2: and that shit is whack. <laughs> it, is. it is all over the place, and there's it's, so many. I'm just it's like crazy. It's looking insane. over, saying like, "Can you believe that?" And then this, you know, episode over, guys, start into the next one. Um, the staircase. Uh, oh, I don't know, I want to watch that. Ooh, I've heard, yeah, I've heard good stuff. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm
3: almost okay. done. I started watching the Americans last night too. That FX show about the KGB spies and. Reagan oh, okay. America, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, but uh, go ahead, Jacob.
2: Oh, yeah. Sorry, just one more thing. Did you see that the whole cast of Breaking Bad was on Conan the other night?
0: No. Yeah, what? You try to watch that. Oh, amazing. Because they were doing they were doing a Comic Con panel, right? Exactly. Yeah, I haven't. I Very haven't checked cool. it out. I did. I did see like a clip where like Aaron Paul was saying like he was really worried that his like daughter's first words were going to be like bitch or something like that. <laughs> um she's like, well, I don't know why you're making her watch the show, then, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, she, just, she shouldn't be watching that just yet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well,
0: Jacob, what um, have you been watching or consuming?
2: Yeah, so, um, like, about five years ago, started to get really into like this emerging, like, immersive media scene. And, uh, and so, again, like, doubling down on, like, who is creating really extraordinary experiences in art? Not just, again, like, a visual art or sonic art, but, like, kind of tying them together. And uh, if you think about it, like, the weirdest part of something like virtual reality or um, immersive theater or any of these things is that you can actually make someone feel a state of presence in a space that isn't real. And to, like, actually be able to make someone feel like they are in another version of reality or a surreal experience, like, our our virtual reality isn't about trying to recreate reality. It's actually about placing you inside of something that you could never experience as reality uh, because it's all animated and it's all light and it's color and it's spacious. But people feel like they are embodied or present in that space. And so um, for me, that's fascinating because it's like how does a brain even know it's in a body and can you... Push the boundaries of that somehow so been working with a lot of different artists in that space and uh over the last five months or so been working with a neuroscientist uh named bo lotto and uh he's given a couple of main stage ted talks and um his focus is really on human perception and so we have started building these uh what are called experiential experiments. And so we've been pulling together some of our favorite creators and creating these immersive experiences, but they are also experiments into perceptual neuroscience. And one of the coolest things that's come out of it is we did a collaboration with Cirque du Soleil, and we're studying uh, the brain states of people who are experiencing awe And if you think about it, you know, awe is one of those magical, magical experiences you feel as a human, where you feel both uh, small and significant or connected. (laughs) And so those moments where you kind of look out over a vista like the Grand Canyon, or you're on a beach looking up at the Milky Way and an infinite sea of stars, those moments where you kind of look out into that and realize that you are a part of it. Uh, it's a magical thing, but it's hard to test in a laboratory. And so Bo's genius is he created this thing called the Lab of Misfits, and we basically take experiments out into the wild where you can actually observe uh, you know, people in states that would be hard to recreate uh, in the laboratory. And so <clears throat> in this particular case, we wired up 600 different people uh, in EEG headsets and, and, you know, then got to take in Cirque du Soleil. So my wife and I got to go out to Vegas and experience O, which is one of the Cirque shows, but we were wired into EEG headsets and got to, got to kind of, you know, have our, our brain states measured. And there is some really significant stuff that's coming out of it, which I can't talk about yet for, uh, Uh, legal or embargoed reasons but there's going to be a pretty wild announcement uh, later this year and so right now in the lab we're like watching these results come in and it's just like it's really stunning to kind of be at that intersection of these kinds of experiences and, and and you know how the brain is is making sense of that and just kind of pushing some of those boundaries
0: that that sounds incredible I I can't wait to see what announcements come up from that or what kind of discoveries um, are made known through that. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So that's a, <laughs> that's a great segue into uh, so the upcoming plans for you guys. Uh, Zach, I wonder if you can talk about the plans for the upcoming tour and the album.
3: Um, yeah, I'll start, and I'm sure it will be um, uh, built upon. Uh, we're going to... We're starting tour in October. October 6th, I believe, is the first date, and I think that's in Nashville. Gentlemen, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, uh, That's the first date of the tour that is in support of our new record, Um, and we're all super, super amped on that. That's going to be about, I want to say, a two-week run, maybe 10 days, uh, around the Midwest and to the Northeast, and then we take a small break, and after that, we're going to go out on another uh, maybe 10-day run uh, through the South Uh, southeast and over into texas um and we're building 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 on that as well people keep asking about more dates and all we're going to say them is please be patient as um everything in good time and right now the record is getting very very close to being done Uh, like jacob mentioned earlier in the podcast or the interview um, we're getting um recent versions of of songs um every day but all the songs are there um and they're being finalized and we have a lot of cool things in plan for the record, and I'm going to let Jacob or Dave pick up where I'm
2: leaving off right now. We're doing May Days um, that we tried out for ourselves over the eclipse, the total eclipse that um, was in a really great view for Nashville um, last that w- year.
0: That was in the path of totality, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. So we had a a two-day event where we hosted uh, a hang um, that included a meal, an acoustic show, a short film, um, VR experiences that also include uh, touch, haptics, vibration, music, uh, fragrance, scent visuals, VR, color, sound. Uh, we're hosting those experiences. And um, in this case, we're talking right now about having the listening party for the record be included in May Day. So if the record is not out by October 7th, if you're in Nashville, it's seeming like seemingly like that we're going to... Uh, be playing the record at Mayday in Nashville, and then the rest of the Maydays as well.
0: Very nice. And I'm guessing you guys can't announce the name of the album yet. Uh,
2: we we should not.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Can we? Can we? You said it's coming up uh, this year. Any approximations or any dates uh, established yet? Or this fall for sure. Cool. very nice um, where can where can people follow you guys online both individually and like collectively as the band
3: well our band uh, Instagram is what is nay um, and my personal Instagram which I will provide here is the seven others the number seven so the seven others um, so if anyone is interested you'll just see a lot of pictures of my child
2: and records. <laughs> And that's about and it. And she's maybe the cutest thing on the internet, so it's definitely worth a follow.
3: <laughs> I appreciate that, Jacob. Thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I think on uh, Facebook, it's May Band. Is I'm going to double-check right now. Yeah, Twitter. I'm going to double-check. Mm-hmm. I, I think Facebook is just May. Is it just May? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That would be awesome. And, and then on uh, Twitter, it's May Band, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, on
2: Facebook it's just May. Yeah. Oh, great. All right. Uh, and then for me on uh, the Instagrams, it's uh, B Art I M Art. Looks like Bear Tia Mart. And um, yeah, I think on Facebook it's just Jacob Marshall. And Twitter is the same handle. It's the B Art I M Art.
0: Jacob, I feel really dumb that I didn't realize what that meant, and I'm really glad you clarified, because I was looking at that earlier, I'm just like, I don't, what does that mean? That seems like very <laughs> lofty or very like abstract. I'm going to have to ask him about that. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Apparently, oh, I can't so just good. read.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dave, what about for you, sir?
1: Uh, I think it's
2: like some form of Dave Elkins. I feel like on Twitter, it's missing an E, but... Otherwise it's not I don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, otherwise it's not I've confused myself in my, oh. in my social media game and that's okay with me I think um, but I work at schematic Studios and that is on uh, socials as well and seem to have like a website and stuff uh, and but that's me I guess I'm Dave
0: awesome uh so yeah we've been talking with <laughs> jacob zach and dave of may again their latest single five light years uh is out right now so you can check that out on spotify youtube wherever you listen to music and they've got a tour coming up and the album coming up uh, this fall so uh be on lookout for that gentlemen thank you so much this was a lot of fun uh it was a great time talking to you guys thank, thank for
2: having you us. yeah thanks for having us, man
0: Again, thanks to Dave, Jacob, and Zach from the band May for taking the time to talk with me. This was probably one of my favorite interviews I got a chance to do uh, this past year. And be sure to check out their new album because it's out now. Uh, Multi-Sensory Aesthetic Experience is out now via Tooth & Nail Records. It is awesome. Definitely go check it out. And they've got more tour dates coming up that you can check out on their Facebook page, including it looks like some of them will be supported by Matt Thiessen over Lion K. So definitely go to a show, listen to the album, and support them as much as you can. That's going to do it for this episode of Middle of the Dial. I'm Jonathan Rahul. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at another Rahul J. And make sure to follow our website on Twitter at Middle of Row. Or just check us out on our website at www.middleofrow.com. And remember, the best songs are in the middle of the dial.
1: All in my name